for just a brief moment in the context of when I read last Sunday seven different types of sermons that theologians have defined for us. Often the most common is the topical, often the most difficult is the expository or the textual sermon, and that's what I often (laughs) preach from. But today it would be in this context of a topical in the sense that there is a theme or a thought that God has laid on my heart in my prayer time and as I contemplated what to share with you. Often this is a difficult Sunday. People have been in some measure of holiday mode. They have been in their houses, families, gathered, eating a lot of food and things of that nature, watching a lot of football, being aggravated to be a Razorback fan, all those things that have put a mixed bag of emotions that we often bring to church with us on Sunday. But what I want you to see today here is I want you to journey with me. I want you to look through the lens that I believe that the Holy Spirit has laid on my heart to share with you because as we do so, we're going to discover a common theme in the Word of God. Not necessarily a topic, but a theme. It's a principle of faith that once you see it and and as you trail it and as you trace it, I believe that as you kind of just look at it and observe how it works, that it kind of gets inside you. And it does produce and it does awaken things spiritually inside your life. The first thing I want to mention just real quickly is distinction. I believe, number one, that the church is distinct in this world. Right? That we're distinct. We're separated unto God by His Holy Spirit. And I'm going to share with you of how that came to be here in just a few moments. But we're not the first people group that was separated unto God. The first separation unto God took place with the people of ancient Israel. Certainly it began with a man by the name of Abraham. But it took its quantum leap to the people of the nation of Israel when they were in the womb of Egypt as slaves. And when Moses, who had been on Mount Sinai as a fugitive, returned with the revelation that now was the time that God would bring forth his children out of bondage and fulfill the word that he promised Abraham. And as that Uh, As that began to unfold and as the events and as the great signs and wonders from heaven shook the nation of Israel, you know, there was a prophetical word in the scriptures that says a nation would be born in a day. And when the children of Israel crossed through the Red Sea and the waters of the Red Sea closed back upon Pharaoh's army and washed them from the face of the earth and they were suddenly cut off from Egypt and they were suddenly cut off from Pharaoh and they were cut off from their slavery. It was at that moment that God had birthed a nation and that nation was to be a peculiar people to God. They were set apart for his divine purposes. He said in multiple passages of scripture, we read briefly out of the book of Leviticus. We could have chosen other passages in the book of Leviticus as well as in the book of Deuteronomy of that God's intention was to separate them from the nations that possessed the land that they were about to go into. You're familiar with that there were seven nations that possessed what was known as Canaan's land. And God gave strict instruction in another passage. I believe it's in Leviticus chapter number 18. I've read it to you on more than one occasion to the children of Israel. He said, when I take you there, you're not to do like the Egyptians from which you used to live amongst. Meaning, you've got to let go of all those habits 
those lifestyles, those patterns, those ways of life that you have developed over 400 years of while you were in slavery. And then I'm going to put you in a land that there are other people groups around you and the leftover residue of their, uh, of their religion and of their lifestyle and their practices is going to try to influence you and you can't live like those Canaanites. God said, I need you to be separate called out and be distinct so you can't live like you used to live and you can't live like others around you live you know how you're going to have to live if you're going to be the children of God you're going to have to live like God wants you to live right that was the context in that passage and we know that the tipping point in the story of the children of Israel along their exodus journey was when they stood at the base of mount sinai and the Mo- and moses the prophet had gone up on the mountain and came back down with the 10 commandments of stone that had been written upon by the finger of god and it was such a monumental moment in all of the world's history that the invisible god manifested his glory that two million men women boys and girls could stand from afar and see the manifested presence of God until a beautifully uh, lit day suddenly darkened and clouds billowed and thunderings and lightnings and the mountain burned on fire and voice was heard it was the authoritative voice of almighty God perhaps never have previously been heard in human history since the Genesis and it is now echoing in the ears of all the listeners there that were gathered at the base of Mount Sinai and it confirmed the law of Moses. It was the gift. What we call the law of Moses was actually the law of God. It was God giving them the word of Almighty God. That was going to create the distinction in the people of Israel. See, the people around them, they had gods They had deities, they had altars, they had temples, but now the children of Israel had something totally distinct that nobody had ever had previously. They had the word of Almighty God. They had it written, captured, first on stone and next on parchment, and that would be taught and read and shared, and the people were to set their hearts to be attentive to the Word of God, to hide the Word of God, because it would demand change. It would separate them from the other people groups. They would live life altogether differently. They would have different dietary laws. They would have different civil laws. You know, They couldn't practice the, the sexual practices of the pagan Canaanites that were around them because God had an order it would create a distinction in their lives and i am so grateful for that moment because god so loved god so loved us the world today that he separated a people group that he could reveal himself through a people group that instead of being in sin and decay and disease and eroding behavior and decaying culture How many of you can search today and find anything left over of any of the remnant of some of those seven nations that possessed? You can't find any of the remnant hardly at all left, but how many know the people of Israel have survived? 4,000 years of human history as a result, even though that they might often take two steps forward and two steps back, 
oftentimes take two steps forward and three steps back. But God was gracious, and his word would work in their hearts and in their lives. In the context of the Jewish people came a promise, and in that promise was the promise of a Messiah, a redeemer, one that would deliver them from all their sins and their destructions. Now, we know that when Jesus came, the Bible in the New Testament plainly says that he came unto his own, but his own received him not. But as many as believed in him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. In Jesus' ministry, he came right through the womb of Israel. He came right through living and functioning and ministering, never outside the borders of Israel, always ministering to the people of Israel. Matter of fact, if you will study the writings, or not the writings, but the teachings of Jesus, he often said, my mission is not for anyone else other than the lost sheep of the house of Israel. People from other tribes and uh, nations would try to pull on him, but when Jesus was here in the flesh, he was sent to serve and to minister to the children of Israel. But he did promise, he did promise by his own word that God was doing something very unique. He said this in John chapter 16. He said, he, in, in, or in, in this passage of scripture, I believe it's John chapter number 10, that he spoke about the shepherd and he said that he was the good shepherd. But he said, I've got other sheep that are not of this fold that you don't really know anything about. But he said, there's going to come a day when there's going to be one fold. There's going to be one fold and there's going to be one shepherd. And those that heard that, they really didn't understand what Jesus was talking about because they didn't understand his purpose. But as Jesus Christ suffered death on the cross and then to the amazement of all that knew about his life and his testimony was mightily raised again from the dead... Jesus' disciples then received the power of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And when that happened, a change was released in the world again that, that superseded what had taken place on Mount Sinai. For now, the Word of God would not just be written on the tablet of stone, but now the Spirit of God could write the Word of God on the fleshly tablet of the heart. And so now God's children have a new distinction in their heart and life. They now have the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit who dwells within. That in days gone by, God dwelt in a temple made out of stone. But now God said he's chosen to abandon that temple and he chooses to live in the hearts and the lives of all that have faith in Jesus. Come on. And it was a powerful testimony. But if you study the book of Acts, you will discover that for many years, the disciples that had their lives changed by the power of the Holy Spirit... And the first century church spent the first several years after Jesus' resurrection and ascension preaching to no one but the Jews. They never reached out to the Gentiles. They never shared the word of God with the Gentiles. As a matter of fact, the Bible plainly says in Acts 11 verse 19, they were preaching to no one but the Jews only. Did you know what, what we now call Christianity and what even the Bible called the church, the Jews of that day called Christianity a sect within Judaism distinguished from the Pharisees, distinguished from the Sadducees, distinguished from the Essenes, but the sect of the Nazarenes within the context of Judaism. And they're not sharing the gospel with the Gentiles. They just believe that this gospel, this blood, this work of Jesus on the cross was for nothing more than the sons of Abraham according to the natural lineage. 
But something started to happen that began to pull down that spiritual stereotype. As we see in Acts chapter number 8. I'm telling you, sometimes when things get unsettled in community, God will use that for the furtherance of his kingdom. And so when the Jews began to persecute the church, and when Rome began to persecute the church, the Bible says they were scattered from Jerusalem. And so a man by the name of Philip went up to Samaria. Now, Samaria was a region that was north of Judea, and it was uh, south of the northernmost tip of Israel. So if you were going to get to Galilee, you had to go through Samaria. Jesus had traveled there many times. There's a record in the Word of God in John chapter number 4 that Jesus didn't even, or the Jews of Jesus' day had nothing to do with the Samaritans. And you say, why? Why do they not have anything to do with the Samaritans? Because the Samaritans were half-breeds. The Samaritans were the descendants of Jews that had intermingled and broken off the word of God to remain separate, and they had married Gentiles. And they had nothing to do with the Jews, and the Jews had nothing to do with the Samaritans. Matter of fact, the Samaritans built their own temple. They held to their own teachings, and they believed that they were the chosen people of God. So it created quite a dissension. And so Jesus had gone there briefly, but Philip goes, and he preaches Christ. He preaches Christ, and when he did, the Bible says that their hearts were open and many got saved. Acts chapter 8 says there was great joy in the city because there were signs and wonders and devils were being cast out and lame folk were leaping for the glory of God. And when word got back to Jerusalem that the Samaritans, I can just imagine there at the Jerusalem church, they get word back and say, wait a minute, you mean those half-breeds received the word of God and they got saved? And, And they said, well, you know what? But, you know, they're half Jewish. So they're half Jewish. And because they're half Jewish, then Peter and John went to where they were at to confirm the story whether or not they got saved. He found out they were saved. They found out they were saved. They laid hands on them, and they prayed for the Holy Spirit to come on them. And when the Spirit of God came on them, they confirmed. You know, God has reached out and even saved this lineage of people that are half-breeds but because of the Jewish heritage. Somewhere along the line in that passage of Scripture from Acts chapter number 8 to Acts chapter number 11, a monumental moment happened in the history of the church. There was a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. He was a sect of the Pharisees, of the strictest religion within Judaism. And he was hateful towards the church, and he was persecuting the church, and he had letters from the chief priests in Jerusalem to go to Damascus and bind up every person that believed in Jesus and take them back to Jerusalem where they would stand trial. He had even given... uh, his allegiance to the stoning of Stephen several months and perhaps even years earlier. He had even watched the coat of those that had held the stones in their hand. But that Saul of Tarsus was making his way to the Damascus road when suddenly a light filled the day sky, brilliant past the illumination of the sun. He fell off of his beast that he was riding upon and he heard a voice say these words, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He said, who art thou, Lord? He said, I am Jesus who you persecutest. It is hard for you to kick against the pricks. He said, Lord, what would you have me to do? He said, go into the city and there it will be told you what it shall be done. He sat with blinded eye for three days until a man by the name of Ananias came to him. But while he was blinded, God was working in his heart. Ananias laid hands on him and he received his sight. He received the power of the Holy Spirit and God told him, I want you to take this gospel to the Gentiles. Take this message of the gospel to the Gentiles. Well, almost simultaneously, I'm telling you, when God gets ready to do something, 
He doesn't always call the governments of the world or the religious leaders of the world. When God gets ready to do a work of grace and reveal his goodness to a people group, he's going to have his way because he is God. The scripture says that during this time period, the apostle Peter had been persecuted and was hiding out along the seacoast, outside of Caesarea, a little bit higher up in a place called Jabba, I believe it is. And while there, he had had a vision. He had gone up into the house, uh, on top of the house to pray. And when he was there on the top of the house in prayer, he fell into a trance. And while he was in a trance, he saw this vision of a large sheet with four corners lowered down with all types of animals. Remember what we read about in the book of Leviticus, the unclean and the clean, what you could eat, what you couldn't eat. And in this dream or this vision, God said to him, Peter, arise, slay, and eat. And being a separatist Jew, he said, Lord, he said, I have never eaten anything unclean or common. And what then God spoke to him in the vision and he said, what I call common, you better not call uncommon. What God cleansed, you better be ready to receive. Three times the vision took place. And when he awakened from his dream, he knew God was speaking to him. The Spirit of God quickened in his heart. said, Peter, there's somebody down knocking on the door right now. wants you to come to their house. He said, go with them and don't ask any questions. He found out he was going back to the home of a Gentile. A Gentile. A Jew would never forbidden to go into the house of a Gentile and actually perhaps even eat there as well. And when he got there, he brought other Jewish brothers with him. And he, it was difficult for him to walk through that door, but he had a new compulsion in his heart. As he was walking through that door, he could hear the voice of the angel speaking in his ear, what I've called clean, don't you call unclean. And he goes in, he finds a man by the name of Cornelius had seen a vision a few days earlier. And he said, God spoke to me by an angel and told me to gather my family and invite you to come and speak. And you would show us the words of life. And when Peter saw that moment, he began to preach the uncompromising truths of the word of God. Jesus Christ died on the cross according to the scriptures. He was buried according to the scriptures. And on the third day, he was raised again. And before he could bring anybody up on the platform, before he could have the organist or the pianist play, or before he could uh, offer an invitation, or sing just as I am in the middle of his sermon the power of God fell and that group of Gentiles began to speak with other tongues as the spirit of God gave them utterance and much to the shock of all the Jews because at that moment they realized that God through the person of Christ on the cross that the blood that had been shed was not just for the descendants of Abraham it wasn't just for those uh, that were in a covenant that God had made with Moses on Mount Sinai but God so loved the world that that he gave his only begotten son. And at that moment, they found that God is granted to the Gentiles everlasting life because they heard the word, they received the word, and they believed the word. And when you hear the word, receive the word, and believe the word, your life's going to change. And the Gentiles received the word of God. To God be the glory. You and I are in this room today. We're here worshiping God in this house in Heber Springs, Arkansas because Peter had the courage to cross over spiritual prejudices and take the truths of the Word of God and share the Word of God with hungry hearts and realize that the God of all grace didn't leave anybody out in this new covenant that's based upon better promises. Hallelujah. 
And when you start following the trail in the Word of God, it's exciting to see. Because the Apostle Paul's ministry, though, is the ministry that gets focused almost exclusively to the Gentiles. Now, often in the first or the early church, as I studied the Word, and many of you, and I'm just on a journey. Are y'all, can y'all stay with me on this journey? I'm going to bring you to an exciting conclusion in a few moments. The apostles and the Jewish church often in that first century environment, they still attempted to keep the requirements of the Mosaic Law. They recognized that salvation came through faith in Christ, but they kept the traditions of the fathers, including all the sacrifices. But they wrote to the Gentile churches that they were not expected to do so. That's recorded in Acts chapter number 15. But their willingness to keep the law would lead to hypocrisy and to sectarianism in the church. And that would be confronted and reproved by the Apostle Paul as recorded in Galatians chapter number 2. As I was reading in Scripture, I found that the Apostle Paul ultimately concluded that there were three distinctions in people that lived on the face of the earth. He first said the Jews. You can read it on your own. 1 Corinthians 10 and 32. He considered the Jews, the unsaved, not regenerate men and women that were the natural descendants of Abraham. He called those the Jews. Then he said the Gentiles. The Gentiles was every person of a natural lineage that was not born as a descendant of Abraham. And then he said the church. And in the church, though, his expectation was that there would be no distinction between Jew and and Gentile, but the church would be comprised of all men, no matter what nationality you are of, no matter whether you are male or female, no matter whether or not you are rich or poor, but that in God's kingdom, under the covenant of grace, that God's made of one new man. And if you read the word of God, you'll find that the apostle Paul consistently in his teaching attempted to tear down what he defined in Ephesians 2 as the middle wall of partition between us. The middle wall of partition was referring to in the ancient temple of Solomon or now what's known as Herod's temple. There was a large wall that separated the Gentiles from the Jews. Paul is alluding to that in Christ and saying that God in Christ has torn down the middle wall of partition from us and he is saying of one new man he's taken those he said this in Ephesians 2 who were afar off who's that that was all the Gentiles who used to worship pagan gods and pagan deities and didn't know anything about Jehovah God he said the blood of Jesus has drawn those from afar and he's brought them nigh he said even then the blood reached out to those that were near who were those those were the Jews that were holding to the covenant of Abraham and the covenant of the law and he said God has torn this middle wall down and he's made of one new man and then he referenced the Gentile Christians and he said this you were a stranger you were a foreigner you were without covenant you had no promise in the word of God you were without hope in this world but now thank God for the blood of Jesus that's brought you from afar brought you without hope and given you a new hope in God through Christ hallelujah I don't know about you today but I am so grateful I'm so grateful today to be a part of the kingdom of God. And let me tell you, you know what makes the difference in my life today? It's the word of God. 
See, I wasn't there at Mount Sinai that day. I wasn't in the tent hiding from the glory of God. I wasn't there when they were erecting the, ta the, the, the tabernacle. I wasn't there when they were building the temple of Solomon or whether I wasn't there when, when Zerubbabel began to rebuild the temple or when Herod beautified it. We weren't there when the temple was destroyed. But I'm here to tell you today that every time I hold this word and I hide this word in my heart, there's a transfiguration that takes place on the inside of me. The living entity of the person of God is revealed to me through the word of God. And when I see it, when I hear it, and when I believe it, it works in me effectually and it changes my attitude. It changes who I am. It determines the course of my day. It says that nothing that comes against me can prosper because greater is he that is within me than he that is within the world. It gives me hope. It gives me joy. It gives me peace. In the midst of a crooked and a perverse nation, I can shine as a light to the glory of God. Why? Because the Word has made all the difference in my life. Glory to God. The Word has made the difference. And when I read the passages of Scripture, I find that much of the apostles' writings of days gone by centered upon the Gentiles in the church learning to conform their lives to the teachings of Scripture. Even the apostle Paul now, before I close today, let me say this real quickly. You say, now, Pastor, the Apostle Paul, you said, tried to uh, tear down that middle wall of separation. Why would the, he then rebuild it? He wouldn't attempt in any wise to rebuild the separation, but he would give emphasis to the Gentiles in his epistles to teach them that they are separate from the world, why would he call them out versus the Jew? Because the Jew had already received the word, already knew he was called out, and should live different from the world around him. But the Gentile just left a pagan temple where he sacrificed and where he gave, a, you know, offering to a pagan deity with sexual practices. And then he was confronted by the blood of Christ on the cross, gave his heart to the Lord, and now he's got to learn the distinction God's called him out. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Touch not the unclean thing. The very thing the Jew would have been raised from the earliest of days, that he was distinct and different. Why am I mentioning this today? You know what? I believe we need a new word in the church today. We need a new revelation of the fact that we are distinct in Christ. We're set apart from the world. We've conformed to the world rather than being transformed from the world. We need a work of the Holy Spirit in the church that calls us to see, you know what? The Word's made a difference. I'm not like everybody around me. You may be the only person on the school bus that's uh, saved, and in that case, there is a distinction. You may be the only person on your assembly line that knows Jesus. Well, then, therefore, you, you, there is a distinction. You may be the only person in your platoon or in your flight that really knows Jesus. Well, let me tell you, you can have the same uniform on. You can have the same hat on. You can have the same insignia on your shoulder. But there can be a distinction made in the eyes of God. Because if you receive the word and you believe the word, then the word got inside you, called you out, and separated you for the glory of God. And there is a a distinction in your life glory to God and because there's a distinction we need to live like there's a distinction now let me say this as I'm closing today I believe that we need a fresh revelation 
within the body of Christ of the distinction in our lives. Let me say this to you. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. I get tired of the ideology that says even in Christianity, within Christians, well, this is just the way that I am. You just got to take me for it. No, God will change you from the inside out. If you're really his, that old stinky, nasty attitude has no place in the kingdom of God, right? All that, pat that pattern of life's got to change. Out with the old, in with the new, right? Because you're yours. Isn't that what the Bible says? That we're to put to death the old man so the new man can live. We're to take off the old man so the new man can live. So you're not your own. Paul said this, you no longer walk like the rest of the Gentiles in the futility of their mind. You're going to live your life differently distinctly different by the power of Christ. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. By what? By the renewing of your mind. What's that mean, Pastor? That means you got to read it. You got to study it. You got to meditate upon it. You got to contemplate and get this word inside you. Because why? Because it will effectually work in you who believe. It will change you if you believe it. You are no longer to live the rest of your life. This is what the apostle Peter said, in the flesh for the lust of men. But you are to live your life the rest of your time that you're here on this planet until God calls you home. You're to live your life for the will of God. Amen. Not my will, Father, but thy will be done. Not my desires, not my purposes, not what I dream, God, but what have you destined me for? Paul said each of us should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion and lust like the Gentiles. So in conclusion today, I say this with a pure heart before you today. As a believer in Christ, with the word of God working effectually in your heart and life, as you believe, you need to have this revelation. You are distinct and separated for God's glory. I'm not talking about creating a spiritual hypocrisy or arrogancy, but recognizing the call of God that's on your life because it will change your perspective in every situation when you know that you are called of God, when you know that God called you in Christ and separated you for this moment and this purpose. For what purpose, Pastor? To hold forth the word of life. Are y'all hearing me today in the midst of a crooked and a perverse nation? It is your faith and it is your obedience to the Word of God that creates the distinction. As you renew your mind by the Word of God, how many believe you're transformed? Come on, you believe you're transformed? I believe you get transformed from the inside out. You learn how to love. You learn how to forgive. You learn how to be kind, how to be gracious, how to be tenderhearted one to the other. Let me say you have to learn that. The Spirit of God working by the Word of God in your heart produces that. You learn how to give. You learn how to sacrifice. And you learn how to rejoice with others who are rejoicing in what God's done in their life. How many of you know that as the Word begins to work in you, lifestyle choices are made? Is that right? Man, I tell you what, we need a fresh revelation of this in the body of Christ in America. We do. Because lifestyle choices are made because of why? Because of the Word working in you. Right? That's why we do what we do, or that's why we don't do what we used to do. Can I say that again? That's why we do what we do, because the Word works within us. But that's also why we don't do what we used to do, 
That's why we don't go where we used to go. That's why we don't watch what we used to watch. That's why we don't listen to what we used to listen to. That's why we don't read what we used to listen or read. That's why we also don't watch that on the television screen. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Why? Because the Word's working inside of my life. I realize that God has produced a change in me. My lifestyle choices are made because of the Word of God. It affects my entertainment choices. It affects my reading materials. It affects my attire. And it alters my entire personality for the glory of God, the Word of God. As Daryl joins me on the platform, as you realize, as a believer, you are distinct and separate, but you've been called with purpose. You know what you're going to do? You're going to shine as a light to those who are around you. You're going to shine as a light. They sit in darkness, and they need the hope that you've got. They need the life that you have in Christ. The expectation that you have in your heart and life comes from what? It comes from the Word of God. And you have it, and God wants you to give it away. And the only way that you can give it away consistently is you've got to live it. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? I mean, let me just say that and back up real quickly. There can't be no hypocrisy in here. You can't say one thing and do something else. You can't try to get the, you know, the speck out of your brother's eye or your friend's eye while you got the log in your eye. There can't be any hypocrisy. You've got to walk this walk and talk this talk and let the Word of God be down on the inside of you, producing a change in you, and then it will create a boldness in you to share it. You know why you'll share it? Because you've proven it. It works. We believe it works today. Won't y'all stand up with me today? I believe the word works. I believe it works. You know, let me just, as I close today, let me, as you're standing up here, you know, in the, in the, in the preaching community, in the body of Christ, in the charismatic, spirit-filled church, there's been a shift in preaching over the last maybe 15 years. You see it on Christian television. That's, unless you go and visit a lot of churches, most of us don't. But you see it in Christian television, and you see styles of preaching that have changed. And you see little, you know, little stories that are told, and almost like Sunday school lessons have become the mainstay in a lot of churches. And I've tried not to be critical, but I've tried to simply say this. I believe, I believe as a pastor that this word that's preached here could change your life. And I ought not hold back. I need to share it with you in a way, in a way that you say, man, my God, that, that will it really do that in my, it will do that in your life. It will. I'm not going to just give you a little life lesson on being gracious or being friendly or being kind or have a smile on your face and everything. No, you can have a smile on your face, but if you don't have the word in your heart, come on, then you just, you just fake is all you are. It's the word that's going to produce it. It's the word that's going to cause it to be consistent in your heart and life. That's what I'm challenging you as a church family. You don't make lifestyle decisions because, well, I might join the church and the church puts this expected. No, you make lifestyle choices because you saw in the word of God, right? Where God said, don't do this or where God said, do that. And then you alter your life because of a conviction based upon the word. That creates the distinction. Go back to the beginning with me. When I said, turn to your neighbor and say this, there is a difference. Remember that? And the word makes the difference. It does. It makes the difference. Let's let our heads be bowed and our eyes closed in the presence of God for just a moment. And I would ask our church family here today 
to take just a moment of time on the Sunday following Thanksgiving in which you thank God for your family and for your friends and for your church and for your nation and all the things that I know many of you listed off in prayer. I would ask you today to take just a moment and thank God for His Word. Just thank Him for His Word. Thank Him for the Logos of Scripture. Thank Him for the Rhema. Thank Him for the Old Testament. Thank Him for the New Testament. Thank Him for the Psalm and the Proverbs. Thank Him for the stories of the prophets and the kings and the stories of the apostles of the book of Acts. Thank Him for the epistles and the revelation of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank You for the Word of God. And God, but we, as we thank You, we realize that if the Word is only contained in a leather bound book and never written on our heart then it will not produce change but God it is our belief in this room that your word will work in us mightily as we receive it and as we believe it so God I thank you for the word of God come on church family just a moment more let's thank him for his word God I love you and I, I just thank you for thy word Thy word I have hidden in my heart that I will not sin against you. Help me to celebrate your word as a man that would find great spoil. Help me to celebrate, God, when you give me a nugget or a precept or a principle. When I see something that I've never seen before. Or if it's a familiar passage and yet it brings new truth or hope to my life, God. I just want to celebrate it, God, in this house. As our heads are bowed and our eyes closed, if there's someone here today under the sound of my voice and you say, Pastor Brown, you know, as you were preaching about being distinct and set apart, while you were preaching all these other things, I was kind of doing inventory in my life. And I don't believe that I'm a part of that family that you're talking about. I'm not a part of the kingdom of God because I've not committed my life to Jesus today I feel the leading of the Holy Spirit and I feel like today that, that today is my day I want to accept Jesus Christ and surrender my life to him today if that's you let me see your hand if there's anyone under the sound of my voice today I want to pray with you before we dismiss in this house today is there anyone young or old alike visitor or regular attendee here today is there anyone secondly in closing real quickly who would say pastor I just want on this day after Thanksgiving I just want to make a new commitment in my life to hiding the word of God in my heart to pray over it meditate on it and thank God for it is there anyone here today should be hands going up all over the room just to be honest from the pastor to the youth pastor and the worship leader to every deacon to all, all of us come on God we're grateful but we're, we're hungry we long we thank you